My biggest regret in stepping into 613, probably three years ago, I think, I came into this. Tyler was transitioning out. I was transitioning in, and we were in a series on Romans. And I told Tyler, Romans 8 is the Mount Everest of Scripture. Do I get to start with Romans 8? And Tyler said, actually, Ryan's preaching Romans 8. You get to start with Romans 9, which is about, like, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, all the predestination stuff. I'm like, thanks a lot, Tyler. Uh, so I thought, you know what? Let's stick it to Tyler now. Let's do Romans 8 tonight. So turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. And I'll give you full disclosure. My goal tonight is not to inspire you as much as it is to equip you for a life following Jesus. This is a passage that when you read it, it's inspirational. It's things like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who put to death the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit will live amazing truths. And yet more than being inspirational, I believe that Romans 8 is a chapter that equips us how we might walk away from sin and into a life of righteousness by the gospel of Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God. I'm not going to read all of Romans 8 right now, although I probably will later because I'll get really fired up and want to read all of Romans 8. Tonight I want to start with a verse right before Romans 8, Romans 7, 25, just the second half, where Paul describes something unfortunate about the existence that we all have. Romans 7, 25, the Apostle Paul writes, So then... I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about Romans 7 and 8. Lord, those of us who have read Romans 7 before admit to you that when we read it, we often see our lives there. A man who struggles... And Paul describes a man who, who just can't get his act together, who feels like he is bound by this body he lives in that keeps calling him to do terrible things and he keeps listening. And yet we also read Romans 7 and we, we want more. We want our lives to not look like a battle between sin and righteousness. We want to walk in your spirit. We want to see you give us victory over sin and death. We pray that you would help us to turn from our wicked ways and turn to you and, and learn what it means to walk by your Spirit. Learn what it means to walk, to not satisfy the di- desires of the sinful nature, of the flesh, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Help us to learn what it means to be men and women and kids who find victory not just in the gospel, but in life as we cling to your spirit and he grows us into righteousness. We pray that you would use Romans 8 to equip us to live the life you've called us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. You wake up in the morning and you've got a fresh start 
in your walk with Jesus. Uh, you decide, like, okay, today I- I'm going to do the right thing. Today I'm going to make good choices. Today I'm going to read my Bible. Today I'm not going to lose my temper. Today I'm not going to fall into sin again. Today I'm going to do good, not bad. Today I'm going to walk in the Spirit and be conscious of the Lord every step of the way. Today I'm going to listen to Christian music and keep me in that mindset. Today I'm going to read my Bible on break at work to remind me not to stray from the law of God. Today is not going to be like yesterday. Today is going to be a good day. Does that sound familiar? If it doesn't, you should try that. That's a good way to start your day. (laughs) And then you get up and you read your Bible and you think, okay, I've got this. I've got this. Today is going to be a good day. I'm going to walk with the Lord today. Amen. And you get up into your day and you live out your day, right? You go to work, you go to school, you do what you do, you work in the yard, whatever you do, right? You have your day and you go through the motions, you walk through life and then you get ready for bed. You lay in your bed at night that day and you say, I screwed up again. I wanted to do good today, but I didn't. I can't believe I said those things tonight at that party. I can't believe I did those things. I don't know how it happened. I was doing so well, and then all of a sudden, boom, this sin comes into my life, and now I feel dirty again, and I feel rejected by God. I feel like I should be rejected by God. I feel like I regret this day out. I want tomorrow to be different, but I feel like I said that last night. I don't know what to do. Because every day I wake up, and I want it to be a good day, but then I go to bed, and I feel like I had a horrible day. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> you lay in your bed at night, you just think, why did I forget to walk with Jesus today? How did it happen? This is the struggle that we see in that last verse of Romans 7 before Romans 8 starts where Paul describes the life that is so easy to live. He says that in his mind, he's a slave to God's law, but in his body, he's a slave to the flesh, the sinful nature, the corrupted person that he is. He says, my brain is like all in for Jesus. I've decided I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk by the law of the Lord. I'm going to do the right thing. My brain is all in, right? I'm just, I'm in. I've decided in my mind that I'm all about the Lord, but then there's this body that just keeps screwing up. There was a terrible R. Kelly song, I think, about that, right? Remember that song? My mind is telling me no, but my body, my body, my body is telling me yes. You remember this song? Was it the 90s? R. Kelly's quoting Romans 7.25, and probably the one thing R. Kelly has ever said that's been right on, right? That there's something messed up about us because even though our brains can be all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ, our bodies keep ruining the thing. We say, I'm not going to do that thing again. And then we do it, right? I'm not going to drink that stuff. And then we're drinking it, right? And it's, it's like our body has a mind of its own. Right? There was a heresy that came up after the first few centuries of the church called Gnosticism, where they started saying that everything material is bad and everything spiritual is good. And it kind of sparked from this dualistic nature of the world that maybe there's a spiritual world out there that's good, but this physical is so corrupt that the only way to escape it is to just be a spiritual person and be enlightened or whatever because there's this struggle in us where in our brains we can want to follow Jesus 
with all our hearts. And then we can sin. And have you ever been like reading the Bible and praying and spending time with the Lord and all of a sudden you realize that you're like really bitter about something? Like you're trying to study and read and it reminds you of someone that you hate and then you start dwelling on how much you hate that person, right? Then you start being consumed with what you're going to say to them when you get to work and you realize that in the middle of your most spiritual part of your day, you're like consumed with this sinful passion within you. Then you're doing everything you can to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit and let them grow out of you, but the deeds of the flesh keep creeping in. Paul says, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. I want to do what God says. That's all my brain wants to do. But somehow, my body is a slave to sin, the flesh. We can easily picture that, that cartoon where there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. And it's like, my mind is telling me to follow Jesus, but this devil in me is telling me not to. And sometimes we over-spiritualize it in a, in a spiritual warfare sense. We say, well, I want to do good, but the devil's trying to get me down. The devil made me do it. The, the devil is a bad guy, right? And that is true. But there's also something messed up in us. That even when you become a Christian, this Flesh that you live in is corrupt. The person that you are is corrupt. You are broken. We are all broken and dirty and sinful, and you cannot escape it, no matter how hard you try. Back in the 1700s, there was a a movement in uh, Charles Wesley, John Wesley, starting this movement, uh, talking about perfectionism and how Christians can become perfect if they just try hard enough. And this guy, George Whitfield, comes and says, hey, listen, that's not true, right? There's no way that you can be perfect. And like, well, what about this person and this person and this person? They're perfect. And George Whitfield says, I know those people. They're not perfect, right? And you can claim that you're perfect. You can pretend that you got it all together. But if you truly are honest, you know that there's something messed up in you. And no matter how much your brain wants to do the right thing, you just can't. You can't. If you read the struggle in Romans 7, it sounds so real. Sometimes we read the Bible and it's like the words don't really make sense. They're just kind of like skimming, like you're reading a history book if you suck at history or whatever. But Romans 7 is a passage that when you read it, it's like, oh yeah, this one makes sense to me. Let me read Romans 7, 15 through 24. This is another one of those, does this resonate with you passages? Paul says in verse 14, we we know the law is spiritual. The law of God, the the word of God, the Bible of God is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. This is what he says in verse 15. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You ever feel like that? End of a day, you think, I am terrible. God, you've got to save me from myself because I keep messing this up over and over and over again. I don't even understand what I'm doing. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? So that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. For me, one of the turning points in my walk with the Lord was when I read the verse after verse 24. I read verse 20, for chapter 7 for a long time and, and heard about this struggle and thought, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And then Paul says something really interesting. He says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he jumps into Romans 8 and he starts talking about how Jesus rescues us from this body of death. And for me, this transformation happened in three stages. And it's funny when, when it, things happen like this to me, or probably it's funny if it happens to you, that your life starts changing, you start understanding God more and, and learning what the scriptures mean more, and then later you come back to the Bible and you realize that the Bible said this thing the whole time. Right, so like Romans 8 has three lessons in it, and I learned them like one, one year, and one, two years later, and one, two years later. And then this week I go back to Romans 8, I'm like, oh, oh, I get it now. The three things that Paul wants us to see about being rescued from the body of death that we live in, the first one is in Romans 8, 1. I'm going to give you three verses to memorize tonight. Please memorize all three of these verses if you have not memorized a Bible verse in a long time, start with Romans 8, 1. Paul says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I remember walking down Lake Chabot Boulevard, uh, Lake Chabot Road one morning, and I... I had had, I don't know what I had done the day before, but I was just feeling miserable about my life. You know, like, man, why do I keep sinning? I keep screwing up. I, maybe I was losing my temper. Maybe I had done something dumb to someone. Maybe I, I don't know what I did. But I was in the morning, I was walking down the street, going on a walk, just feeling like, I am a terrible human being. <laughs> that kind of, who will rescue me from this body of death kind of conversation with the Lord. And, and then Romans 8.1 popped into my mind. That God reminded me after Romans 7 is Romans 8.1. And God said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? And God reminded me that what it means is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if you are a Christian, there's no condemnation for you. And so those nights that you lay in your bed and you're feeling miserable, like God is condemning you and you're condemning yourself because you've been sinning all day and you've gone wayward, you've made stupid decisions, the verse to remind yourself is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you know Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for you. 
That God is not in heaven watching you suffer in your bed at night and saying, I'm condemning you. You're a terrible human being. God looks on us, those who are in Christ Jesus, and says, there is now no condemnation for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul explains why. He says the reason there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Paul says in Romans that the reason that there's no condemnation for you is not because you're perfect. God doesn't look at you and say, you've done a good job today. Congrats. God doesn't look down and say, oh, you had a bad day. (laughs) God does not judge your performance, judge your state with him based on your performance of keeping up his laws. He says that in Romans 8 that God sent his son to live as a fully righteous person and then die as a sin offering. And so Jesus was the one who, when he went to bed at night, probably felt pretty good because he did a good thing that day, right? He's probably also feeling bad because everybody wanted to kill him. But in terms of his spiritual life, Jesus felt like, you know, I can sleep easy because I'm not a sinner. I haven't sinned today. So Jesus would be one who lays in his bed and thinks, God, thank you. I walked through this day and I honored you with all of my actions. And then he was put to death on a cross as the judgment for our sins. He says that God put him up as a sin offering, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who took away the sin of God's people. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus is credited to your account. And now when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous, even though you're a terrible sinner, right? Even though you have the worst day imaginable, God looks at you and says, I count no sin against you because Jesus paid for it. Like it's, it's like sinning is like swiping a credit card, right? You're racking up debt all day long, and then you lay in your bed at night, and you feel like, how did I spend so much money today? And God says, Jesus paid it all, right? It's taken care of. It's gone. And so Paul reminds us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you want to start living victoriously over sin and death and the struggle against the sinful nature, against the flesh within you, step one is to realize that you're not condemned. That your performance is not what God is judging you based on. That God is judging you based on the performance of Jesus. And when God looks at your sin, he sees the payment was made by Jesus. And so the unlock, the key that unlocks a relationship with God that is real and not condemnatory is realizing your sin's been paid for. No matter what you do today, it's paid for if you're in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation for you. Or that's step one. Step one is when you feel condemned, remind yourself you should not be condemned because there's no condemnation for you. Right? You can beat yourself up for your sin all you want, but it's fruitless because there already was one who was beat up for your sin. And so you're just beating yourself up for nothing, right? In a sense, you're acting in unbelief. You're trying to pay for your own sin by feeling sorry for yourself. But God says, someone's already paid for that. 
Right? It's like if you just swiped your credit card all day and racked up like 50 grand in debt and then someone comes and pays your debt and then you lay in bed being miserable because you're 50 grand in debt. God wants to come and remind you, someone paid for that. Be excited instead of sad. Right? Don't be, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. Now say, who is this person who paid my debt? Thanks be to God for them. That's why he exclaims, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Memorize Romans 8.1. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling condemned, when you're feeling like God is judging you, if you're a Christian, he's not. He judged Jesus for your sin, so there's no condemnation for you. So that's what you do at night when you're laying in bed feeling miserable. But what do you do in the morning? (laughs) Right? And you're like, yeah, there's no condemnation. Tomorrow's going to be better. I'm going to do good. Are you? Because yesterday you did pretty bad, right? And you're not condemned for it, but what are you supposed to do with that? Right? All those arguments start coming up in Romans. Right? It's like, wait, hold on. So, so if we're not under law but under grace, should we just sin then? <laughs> like, is that the goal? Right? If God gives us more grace the more we sin, should we, like, rack up a ton of debt so God looks awesome? And we should just sin all day long and be like, Jesus forgave me all this junk and more, Right? He says, of course not, of course not. You want to grow in righteousness. You died to sin. Don't live in sin. Walk away from sin. But then the question is, how? Because most days feel like Romans 7 days where you think, my mind wants to follow Jesus, but something, I don't even know what it is, right? I was thinking about that today, like, why is it so hard? Like, should it really be that hard? I think, you know, today I don't want to do anything stupid, I, I want to be nice to people. I want to read the Bible and pray. And I want to be nice to my kids. I want to serve people selflessly. I don't want to get selfish. I don't want to be moody. I don't want to say anything dumb, right? It shouldn't be that hard, should it? But no day goes by that I finish the day and be like, I was great today, right? Every day, you remind, I'm, remind, I'm reminding myself there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will rescue me from this body of death? There's a character in Romans 7 that is mysteriously missing. I mentioned that Romans 8 is like the Mount Everest of Scripture. One of the places that you see that is if you have a Bible program where you can search and find out where words are in the Bible. If you ever get the chance to do this, jump on Accordance or Logos or whatever, search the book of Romans for the word spirit. Because you'll see that the Holy Spirit shows up like this all over the book of Romans. Like chapter 3, chapter 5, comes a couple times. Uh, chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7, right? Chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 19. Holy Spirit showing up throughout the book of Romans. Chapter 7, the verses that we read a few minutes ago, 15 through 24, is like flatline. Like, boop, no Holy Spirit. And then Romans 8 is like, whoa! Like the Holy Spirit is everywhere in Romans 8. And what Paul is trying to show us is that when you live in this mindset where you want to do good and be good and follow God's rules and be a rule keeper and follow the Lord and work hard and set your mind to it, you're going to fail all the time. But there is a Spirit of God that can help you to walk towards righteousness and not satisfy the desires of the flesh that's inside of you. Let me read a few, not even all. I'm going to read a few of the times that the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 8. I'll start actually before the diatribe in Romans 7. Here's Romans 7, 6. Paul says, now we are released. You can, if you're looking at the Bible, you can follow along. 7, 6. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. 
says there's a new way to serve God as a Christian. It's not by following the written code of the law. It's a new way by the Spirit. And then Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In 8.4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 8.10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us conquer the sin that lives within us. As believers in Christ, if you sin, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 1 to memorize. Verse 2 to memorize, I'm going to jump out of Romans and into Galatians because I feel like Paul says it a little bit more concise as a memory verse in Galatians 5.16. Number 2, memorize Galatians 5.16. He says this, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit, if you will not gratify the desires of the, sorry, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He says it very similarly in Romans 8, 13, where he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul says in Galatians, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Live by the Spirit, he says in 5.16 of Galatians, and you will not satisfy the desires of the sinful nature. If you want to move beyond the place where you keep sinning and just know there's no condemnation for you, which is a good place to be, but better than that, you want to stop sinning, you want to do better, you want to walk in righteousness, you want to leave sins behind and grow in your righteousness, it's not by trying real hard to follow the rules in the Bible. That's not primarily how you do it, right? Paul says, and you can read more of Romans later, that the law is good, it shows us the way to God, it shows us about God, it shows us that we're sinners, but the law is powerless because the law is weakened by our flesh. Right? The law has no power to do anything. It's just a written code. If there's something in us that wants us to disobey, that something in us is more powerful than the piece of paper that tells us the rules. But Paul says in Romans 8 that the beautiful thing is that God has put someone in us who is more powerful than the flesh. Someone who is powerful to help us to abide by the law that God has revealed to us. And he says that person is the Spirit of God. And then Paul says in Galatians 5.16 that if we live by the Spirit, Walk by the Spirit. We will not satisfy the desires of the sinful nature. So point, so A, memorize Galatians 5.16. But B, have you ever wondered what that means? And what does it actually mean to walk by the Spirit? I, I was in a doctoral level class a few weeks ago with a bunch of pastors who have been pastors for way longer than me, like years and years and years, smart guys, smarter than me, who are going around the table talking about theology, and one guy asks, he says, hey, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask this, but... I mean, the Bible says that if we want to beat sin, we do it by walking by the Spirit. 
what does that mean? <laughs> how do you do that, right? And if you Google, like, how to walk by the Spirit, you get a lot of weird stuff, right? And a lot of it sounds really good, right? This idea of, like, well, there's a still, small voice inside of you, and that's the voice of the Spirit, and he'll tell you where to go and what to do. So start trusting that voice and not the voice inside you that tells you to do stupid stuff, right? And then, well, sometimes those voices sound really similar, right? <laughs> Heard people say that the way to walk by the Spirit is just do the opposite of whatever you want to do. And that's what the Spirit wants, like a George Costanza way of walking by the Spirit. I'm just going to be the opposite of me, and, and I'll be good. I don't think that's it. What does it actually mean to walk by the Spirit? How do you do it? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? People have talked in all these different circles about all these weird spiritual ways to be filled with the Spirit of God and to let Him breathe in the Spirit of God and to listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. And maybe there's some validity to some of that. But I think it's more simple than that. I think that Paul in Romans 8, 5 tells us what it means to walk by the Spirit. This is your last verse to memorize. Romans 8, 5. Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The mind governed by the Spirit. I think if you want to know what it means to walk in the Spirit, I think the way that Paul describes it and other Bible writers describe it throughout the New Testament is setting your mind and letting your mind be governed by the things of the Spirit of God. In Colossians, Paul says to set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. There's something to this setting your mind, your mindset, your focus being on spiritual things, not on worldly things, on godly things, not on sinful things. In Romans 8, 5, the reason that's the one to memorize is because he shows there's a difference that there's one way to walk in the flesh, which is letting your mind be governed by the flesh, and there's another way to walk by the Spirit, which is letting your mind be governed by the Spirit. And really, if you want to boil that down into what that looks like, it's, it's deciding what you're going to believe and choosing to believe what the Spirit reveals and not what your flesh wants. So here's some examples. Say you go to a party, and you decide as you're walking into the party, I've ate too much this week. I'm not going to eat any of the appetizers at this party. I'm not going to eat any desserts at this party. Maybe I'll have a little bit of dinner at this party, but I'm going to have self-control at this party, right? And you've decided that. And so that's a good thing to do. I, I'm not going to eat junk. I'm not going to eat junk. I'm not going to just, like, stand by the Fritos and just, like, Whatever, I'm not going to inhale the guacamole, right? I'm not going to stand by the chocolate fountain with a cup, right? I am self-control for me in this party, right? And so you've decided, right? That is the thing that I'm going to do. And then you get into the party and you see some chicken wings over on the table. And your mind, like the other part of your mind, starts looking at those chicken wings. And you're like, oh, I really want some of those. No, no, I don't want the chicken wings. Don't want the chicken wings, right? 
And then the other part of your head is like, oh, man, look, there's French onion dip over there, right? And you're like, ah, right? I need that. But then the, part of your, the rational part of your mind when you came in is like, no, we said we're not, right? Now you're schizophrenic a little bit, I think. But he's like, no, we said that we're not going to eat that. Then you see the chocolate fountain. Then you see everybody else eating. Then you see all the fun things. And there's like cake pops, right? You're like, ah, right? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And you've got a choice in that moment, right? Who, which voice are you going to let govern your mind? Who's the governor of your mind, right? Who's the Arnold Schwarzenegger of your mind when he was the governor, right? Are you going to listen to the voice that says, abstain from this food? Or are you going to listen to the voice that says, eat that food, me want food, right? And, and it's, it's easy to talk about that because it's not like a sinful example, although gluttony is probably a big issue in America and all these kind of things, right? But I think this is what Paul is trying to say, is, is that walking in by the Spirit is choosing to make your mind governed by the Spirit of God. And so say, let's take it a real world, like sinful example. You walk into a party and you're someone who struggles with alcohol, right? And you've decided, I'm going to this party. I can't drink anything because I'm going to go crazy if I drink something. I won't be able to stop. I just know that about myself. And before I came to the party, I talked to my sponsor and I said, I'm not going to eat anything, right? Or I decided in the car, I'm not drinking tonight because last time I went crazy and I made a fool of myself, right? No alcohol for me at this party, right? And so you walk in, you say, I know what the Lord wants me to do. The Spirit of God wants me to abstain from alcohol completely at this party because I can't take it, right? And so that's you and that's your deal and you were honest with the Lord and you felt like God is calling you to abstain at this party and be the guy who doesn't drink or the girl who doesn't drink at this party. And you show in and it's not, show up and it's not cake pops, right? But there's an open bar or there's kegs or there's drinks or people drinking wine or whatever your thing is, right? And Oh, man, I want that. And you can nip it in the bud and just say, you know what, no. Nope, nope, going outside, right? Give me a Diet Coke, going outside, right? You could do that. Or you can choose to start dwelling in that, right? Man, I just, sucks. I should be allowed to drink. You're feeling bitter, feeling sorry for yourself, right? Or just starting to imagine, oh, what if I just had one, you know? Am I loosening up a little bit? Like, I feel like I'd be better. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm a better evangelist when I've had a couple in me, you know? Like, for the glory of God, right? I can manage, right? Because I'm going to decide right now I'm only going to have a couple, right? So the problem is not just that you're crossing over some imaginary line. The problem in that scenario is that your mind is dwelling on what your flesh desires. That your mind is becoming governed by the flesh, and, and so the sin in that is, is not just that there's like this line of like righteousness is over here and sin is over here and you're tiptoeing towards it. The primary sin behind the whole thing, the reason you're going to screw up at that party is because your mind is consumed with what your body, what your flesh, what your sinful nature wants. That's all you're thinking about. Right? So even if you're outside sitting by the fire and everyone's talking, you're not listening. You're thinking about how you wish you were drinking, right? That is a bad place to be because your mind is governed by what your flesh desires. Paul says if you want to live in victory over sin, it's not by trying hard not to drink at the party. It's by not letting your brain be consumed with the concept of alcohol at that party. Start dwelling on what the spirit desires right same thing happens if you're the person who struggles with anger or bitterness right you're at work you're having a good day right 
You're listening to a Christian CD because you're trying to like stay in the Christian mood or something, right? And, and you get this email from someone that's just kind of messed up. You gotten emails like that? And you're just like, oh man, she's always doing that. I hate that person. No, I don't hate them. You know, I pray for them a little bit. Like, God, I pray that you would bring this woman to you because she is a nasty, nasty woman, God. You know, I remember the other day she did this thing again. Oh man, right? You start getting fired up, and all day long you're thinking about it, then you're like daydreaming about what you're gonna say back in the email. And how you're going to have this nice Christian response, but they're going to stick it to her a little bit, right? Or, like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a Christian. But if I wasn't a Christian, this is what I'd probably say to her, right? And I'm going to call your friends and be like, oh, man, I got this email. It's a good thing I'm a Christian, right? Because if I wasn't a Christian, here's what I've been thinking about all day that I would say to that woman, right? And your mind is consumed with what your flesh desires, right? It's only a matter of time <laughs> before you start acting with what your mind is consumed on. So Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought. And for me, one of the biggest struggles I've had in the last couple years, and I'm just kind of figuring it out now, is a couple years ago, I was like fascinated with personality studies. Have you guys done those? Like the introvert-extrovert thing, Myers-Briggs, or the whatever, uh, golden retriever, otter one, you know what I'm talking about, like all these different personality studies, and I was taking all these quizzes and whatever, and, and I found that I'm an introvert. So I read this book, great book, I won't tell you about it because it might mess you up like it messed me up, on introverts, and I'm like, that's me, right? It was like so life-giving to me to realize like, that's why when I go to a party, I don't want to talk to anyone, right? That's why I'm like looking for the nearest exit, and I feel like I need to be outside alone. That's why, right? I'm an introvert. It's like, yay, right? I kind of come out of the introvert closet, and I'm telling people like, I'm an introvert now, so that's me, right? And I just figured this out about myself, and maybe you are too. Take this test, right? We're all figuring out what we are, and for a little while... The fact that I was an introvert was giving me life because I would go into these parties and I'd start feeling like, ooh, right? And realize, oh, that's my introversion, right? I need to go outside. And then I'd go outside and be like, ah, oh, right? This is better. And people say, hey, you want to come hang out with us tonight? I'd be like, nope. I'm an introvert. <laughs> and I know it. I'm going to be miserable if I hang out with you. I'm just going to escape the whole time, right? I started having conversations with people, and the whole time they're talking, I'm thinking like, I gotta get out of this conversation. I gotta get out of this conversation. Introvert, 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 right? And like all these alarms were going off, and the alarms weren't new, right? Before I knew I was an introvert, I would go to the parties, and I would be feeling uncomfortable. Before I knew I was an introvert, I'd be talking to someone, and they'd be, like, close-talking me, and I'd feel like I wanted to die. Before I knew I was an introvert, when everyone's talking around a dinner table, and I'm there alone, I'm like, I want to go hide in the bathroom, right? All of those things were true before I found out I was an introvert. But after I labeled myself as an introvert, the difference was I started to lean into that. I started, as I was having those conversations, thinking, like, I shouldn't be at this party. I'm an introvert. I shouldn't be talking to this part person. I'm an introvert. I shouldn't be in this conversation. I'm an introvert. I need to get out. I need to get out. I need to get out. And, and what I realized later was what happened was, instead of seeing that situation the way that it was, I was consumed on this whole introvert spectrum thing, and it was messing me up. Right? I go to a party. I used to be the guy who would go to you at a party. I'd ask you about your life. We'd talk about stuff. I would try to serve you and think, you know what? I don't like being at crazy parties where I don't know people, but I'm going to serve the Lord here and try to get to know people and make them feel good about themselves and all that. But after I found out I was an introvert, I'm like, nope, I'm out, right? 
And before I knew I was an introvert, I'd talk to someone, I'd feel kind of uncomfortable, but I'd be like, this is weird. I guess I need to lean into this and have the conversation and pray for them and serve them. But after I found out I was an introvert, I'm like, I got to get out of this thing. I got to get out of this thing. And what happened was I found out this thing that I thought was true about me, and my mind would get consumed on that category, and it made it so I couldn't thrive in any conversation, in any environment. If I would have taken Romans 8 instead... And said, you know what? Here's what the introvert test shows me. I am someone who, who struggles with loving people in a social environment. I'm someone that if I go to a party, I would be way more excited to leave all these people than to serve these people. I'm somebody who, in my flesh, right, what my flesh wants, when you're telling me about what God's doing in your life, I want to run away and read a book, right? And that's a sin. I need to repent of that and say, what's wrong with me? I want to hear about what God's doing in your life. But because I had this label on me, I just started embracing it, and it would take me farther and farther and farther away from what God actually wanted me to do. What Paul says in Romans 8 is, if you want to live by the Spirit, you have your mindset on the things of the Spirit. You're not in a conversation thinking, I need to get out of here because introverts don't talk to people. You step into a conversation and you think, okay, God, why do you have me in this conversation? And if you feel like someone's talking to you, if you're the introvert, here's, this is for you. Someone's talking to you and you're like, I got to get out of here. I don't want to hear about their life. There's something wrong with that, right? There's something wrong with you. Let's be honest. There's something wrong with you. And yes, you're an introvert. But what God wants from you is to lean back into that person and say, tell me more, right? To grow through that and stop being consumed with how do I get out of this conversation and start being consumed with how can I serve this person? Setting our mind on what the spirit desires, not on what the flesh desires, because you know what's crazy? If you're the introvert, extrovert, whatever, that desire that I had, three introverts in the room, to get out of the room when there were people all over the place felt exactly the same as the desire to go and eat all the Cheetos or whatever, right? It felt exactly the same as that desire when you're in trouble to lie to get out of it. It felt exactly the same. But, but if it came up to lying, I'd be like, that's wrong, right? If it came up to eating all the Cheetos, I'd be like, that's wrong, right? But when it came up to getting out of the room, I'm like, that's right, because that's my nature. We've got to start defining ourselves by what God calls us to do and not by what we want to do. Because if you're just going to follow your heart and let your mind be set on what your flesh desires, whether it's a sinful thing or it's a personality thing or it's an anything thing, if you follow your heart, follow your desires, you're going to be in deep trouble and you'll be laying in your bed feeling like, who will rescue me from this body of death? But if instead you take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, you'll do well. <laughs> And you're still going to have days where you lay in your bed and think, how did that happen? And you'll have to remember Romans 8.1. But as you submit yourself to the Spirit of God and let your mind be governed on what He wants rather than what on, on what you want, you're going to see yourself growing and changing and becoming more like Christ as you take every thought captive and make it obedient to Him. Tonight, as we receive the communion meal, and if you're new to 613, we do this every week. It's a chance for us to come who are believers and remember the death of Christ. Tonight, the, the, the context I would love for you to have in your mind as you remember Christ's death for us is, is what Paul explains in those first three verses of Romans 8. 
says, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. As you receive this bread and you receive this cup tonight and you eat it and you drink it, what God wants you to remember is that Jesus paid for your sin. And if you're feeling condemned tonight because you messed up today or this weekend or whatever, there's no condemnation because Jesus paid it all. So eat and drink tonight in remembrance of the one who died on your behalf. Let's pray, and then we'll eat while we sing.